The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. If you want to follow along in your bulletin or in your Bible or Bible app, we're looking at Matthew chapter 2, and just a reminder... This doesn't begin with once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. This true story begins like this in Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray together. Father, in this cast of characters here, We pray that we would be like the wise men and not like the others. That we would come worshiping you and offering our gifts and laying down our lives and seeing you as the king of glory. We ask that you would speak to us, that you bring conviction of sin, encouragement from your spirit. Show us our need for Jesus, the one who's come to save us from sin. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four kinds of people in this text, but only two are obvious. It was easy to see the homage and the hatred, the the reverence and the revulsion, the elation and the attempted elimination, the adoration and the attempted assassination. Jesus' entrance into this world is greeted with these two radically different responses of devotion. The Magi are devoted to finding Jesus. Herod is devoted to finding Jesus. Both the wise men and Herod both sought after Jesus. Both declared their intentions to worship him. The wise men were wise men. 
and Herod was a foolish king. In this passage, we see these two obvious types of people. The wise men come to adore the Messiah. The foolish king is an adversary, and instead of being uh, zealous for the Messiah, he's jealous. The wise men filled with adoration, and Herod is filled with anxiety and indignation. The wise men, we're told, are they're filled with joy, but Herod is filled with jealousy. Herod wants to strike down the Messiah, whereas the wise men come to fall down before the Messiah. Herod reminds us of Nietzsche, who's at least honest enough to declare that there cannot be a God, because if there was one, I could not believe that I was not he. We have the obvious characters who make the press of this chapter, but what about the other two groups? The religious establishment and the covenant people of God. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious establishment, they help the Magi from the east as they are Gentiles. They're strangers to the covenant and they don't know his promises. They don't know the scriptures and they need some help. They need some biblical revelation. They have the general revelation of this star, but now they're close and they need special revelation. So the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious establishment, assist them as they know the scriptures and they quote Micah 5.2 and 2 Samuel 5.2. These two verses are spliced together. And you might think to yourself, well, they did their part, but did they? You see, the silence here of the scribes and Pharisees is very sad. It is the outsiders, the ones outside the covenant who are brought in. They seek Jesus. They come to worship him. They've probably traveled 800 to 1,000 miles, most likely well over a month's journey, maybe several months. And here is Jesus right under the scribes and Pharisees' noses. They're just a few miles from over off of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. And the scribe and Pharisees missed out. They are good theologians, but they are content to keep God at a distance. They're good theologians who are used to direct the outsiders how to worship the Messiah. But they themselves were not, we are told, there's an unbelievable silence that they missed out altogether. What gifts did they bring to Jesus in this text? They didn't bring any gifts because they didn't love this baby. You see, we have to be careful that our study of scriptures doesn't miss the obvious. The main things are the plain things, as Alistair Begg likes to say. The scribes and the Pharisees directed the wise men, yet they didn't follow their own directions. How foolish and how sad. They were very smart, and yet they were really dumb. The scribes and Pharisees and all of Jerusalem should have been abuzz with the news that the king of the Jews had been born. The scribes and the Pharisees liked to read the scriptures and here's their chance to meet the author of the scriptures. And they made no journey. A few miles was all they had to travel. And many of us here this morning may be just like them. Maybe you've read this story to your children or you've heard this story since you were a child. You've heard it in Sunday school. You've taught it in Sunday school. You know this story and yet you find yourself not worshiping, not struck. Are you seeking him? 
Do you love him? Do you worship him? You see, we have this one great example of the text is the Magi. And you have to look at your life and say, well, in the last week, in the last month, in the last year, in the last decade, do I seek the Lord? Do I come to worship him and bow down and give him gifts and give him honor and glory? Or am I like one of these other characters that's just somehow distracted and missing the boat, missing the mark? You see, we're told of another group of people, and it's just briefly mentioned in verse 3. Verse 3, if you look again, it just says this. When King Herod heard this, you know, as they've come, these magi come, and they don't say if. They don't want to know if. They don't come and they want to know if the king has been born. They come to know what? Where he's been born. So they come asking a question. And when King Herod heard, not if, but when, he was troubled. And that's the Greek word for earthquake. He had a quake. And all Jerusalem with him. So here we have Herod troubled. As an insecure king, full of wrath and rage at any whom he deemed as a threat to his power. As a result of him being troubled, we are told that all Jerusalem was troubled with him. What a sad commentary on all Jerusalem. Here is the king of kings, David's descendant, born in Bethlehem, the same town where David was born and grew up and tended sheep. And instead of running and seeking and searching and finding and adoring and enjoying, and enjoying, they are saddled and rattled by fear. Fear ruled their world. They don't want Jesus because he might rock the boat. And that might lead to something uncomfortable or painful or stressful. And we just want a life of ease. We just want to be left alone. And Herod's idol of power and control was leading to great wrath and anger. Well, it led the people of Israel to stroke their idol. And their idol was people pleasing and keeping the peace. Because this idol was fear. It was fear of change, fear of man, fear of what might happen. And that fear led them to be enchained and not taking a step out of Jerusalem towards Bethlehem. And these fears led them to hide the truth rather than face the truth and embrace the truth and love the truth. And some of you here this morning are not radical worshipers going public with your faith like these wise men. You lay low. You don't want really anybody to know that your allegiance is to King Jesus. Maybe your allegiance is to something deeper, to your fears. I've always found it scary, the people that are mentioned first in Revelation 21. These people, we talk about the conquerors who will have this heritage, and God says, I'll be your God, and he'll be my son. But then it says about the unbelieving, the wicked, those who were thrown into hell, it says, as for the cowardly. That's the first thing, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. And then it goes on. The murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. We expect them. But the cowardly? It's those who won't speak up because they're like all Jerusalem. They're worried about the king. Little King Herod. And we've got big King Jesus. Maybe today is the day you say goodbye to your fears and hello to Jesus as your king. Wouldn't you rather have him than being a slave to fear? Herod was definitely, there was something to fear about him. 
But when you put it in the big picture, compared to the, as the Bible describes Jesus, as the ruler of kings in Revelation 1. Josephus says of Herod that he was capable, crafty, and cruel. He was relentless. He pursued himself with no restrictions. He wouldn't let anybody get near him. He was into power plays. When he came into office, one of the first things he did was to kill 45 of the wealthiest men of Israel, and he confiscated their wealth for himself. He did this to send a message. Don't mess with me. Herod brings true meaning to the phrase, murder is the child of suspicion. Herod murdered his own wife and his mother-in-law. He murdered three of his own sons, Aristobulus, Alexander, and he arranged for the accidental drowning for his brilliant 17-year-old son, Antipater. One of them was killed five days before his death because he overheard him talking about what he was going to do when he took the throne and Herod got jealous and had him killed five days before he died. It was said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. And during his reign, he put to death 300 people from his own court. He retired at age 70 to Jericho and arranged for his death. And he ordered that the most prominent men in Jerusalem arrested until his, until his death, and they were to be killed at the hour of his death, so that when he died, there would be mourning in Jerusalem. Thankfully, that edict was not carried out. So the Bible tells us that right in the midst of this, wise men come to Jerusalem saying, where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. Who was the king of the Jews? His name was Herod. And so they come wanting to know, who's, where's the king of the Jews? <laughs> Hello, this is, this is a problem. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And the Bible says, of course, that Herod, when he heard this, he was troubled. He was disturbed. He was quaking with fear and jealousy. And so... It's good for us to remember that as we look at this life of Herod, there's a little Herod in each of us too. It's the, it's the Herod that is very jealous. You see, Herod is filled with jealousy and he wants to exterminate and extinguish anybody else's name but his own. His name has to be at the top. The Bible just tells us wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? What happens when somebody gets promoted above you? Someone else gets the glory, maybe for something you thought you did a better job. When someone else gets asked to play their instrument instead of you, or to sing that solo, or to speak. And when someone asks out your friend and doesn't ask you out, you see, there's a little Herod in each of us. And Herod knew just enough of the Bible to be disturbed. He knew from Micah's prophecy, he learned that the Messiah was to be born in David's hometown in Bethlehem. And there's an interesting prophecy in Numbers 24, 17. This was Balaam's fourth oracle that prophecies, it says there's going to be a star coming out of Jacob. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth, and Edom shall be dispossessed. Well, if this news reached Herod's ears, Herod was an Edomite. This was a direct threat. A star rising. We've seen the star we hear the prophecy, Edom shall be dispossessed. Uh-uh. 
We'll talk more in weeks to come of what Herod's plan is. But this Micah 5.2 is an amazing prophecy, isn't it? It's not only a prophecy about where Jesus will be born. We are told that he will be born in Bethlehem. And that's, that's you know, where David was born. And that's where David grew up. And, but the, the prophecy is also about who the Messiah will be. And that answer is fascinating. We are told this. He is a future ruler in Israel, one who is to be ruler in Israel. Yet the future king is an ancient king. His coming forth is from old, from ancient days. You would think, am I reading Tolkien? Am I reading Lord of the Rings? Is this the return of the king here? What, what is this? The answer is how can Jesus be an ancient king and yet a future king according to Micah? And the answer is that Jesus will be born. He will become a human being. He will be born in Bethlehem. But this one who's born in Bethlehem is the, is the mighty God, the everlasting father that was read this morning at the Advent reading. He is God. To us, a child is born. He becomes a man. Yet to us, a son is given. He is God. He's God's son who's given to us. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And then Matthew splices in this other verse of 2 Samuel 5, 2, which is a passage that rarely gets mentioned. But the context of Samuel 5, 2 Samuel 5, is that Saul has died, King Saul. And that the followers of the old king are now coming over and more and more they're following the new anointed king of, of uh, Judah, which is David. And 2 Samuel 5 says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd over my people Israel. That's what, it's get quoted. That's what gets quoted here. And you shall be prince over Israel. So Matthew splices these two passages together to show us that Jesus is the new King David. And the one who had prophesied about so many times is there was a prophecy and, we are, and David was promised that one of your descendants will be on the throne forever. And the passage we read this morning, for, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. You see, Matthew is relentless to show us that Jesus is from the line of David and that he's the son of David, yet he's also David's Lord. And he's going to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord will, will do this and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against this. The king has been born and the king is bringing in his kingdom. And this news troubled Herod. But the wise men weren't troubled. They were enthralled. Consider their devotion. Who are these wise men? Why have they come? Well, we're just told they, <clears throat> they came from the east. They're not Jews. They're Gentiles. And their religion was more of an astronomy and astrology. They were mixed together back then. They studied the stars. And we get the word magic from the, from the magi or magica, if you're into the Nighting Museum. 
Nobody laughed. Okay. The Magi, long before these three wise men are Magi, listed here in Matthew 2, they're most likely the dream interpreters in Matthew, or in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 4. Daniel was put in the Magi school, and Daniel was smarter than all the other Magi. And many scholars believe that Daniel was made the chief Magi, and he interpreted the king's dream. Daniel prophecies, prophesies, and Old Testament scriptures were probably passed down to these Magi here in Matthew 2. The Magi would equal today like the president's cabinet. They're most likely the priestly caste from the Medes and the Persians. They probably had an entourage of servants and soldiers with them to protect them. We don't know how many wise men they were. All we know is it was plural, okay? And, and we know that, that they came to a house, and it was much later than, than the end. So when you got your little, you know, your, your uh, nativity scene, uh, we don't know the names of these guys, and we don't know how many there were, but we sing about three wise men, we even have their names. We don't know. And we're not even sure where they're from. We think, you know, Medes, Persians, Babylon, we're not really sure. But Matthew Henry said this. He said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They do not ask whether there was such a one to be born. They're sure of that, you see. They don't speak of it. They, they speak of it definitively. They want to know where he's born. And they probably traveled some 800 to 1,000 miles as they're following this star. And we don't know what the star was. There's a lot of people get into speculation. They'll try and figure out what the star was. Was it Halley's Comet or was it Jupiter and, Jupiter and Saturn coming together? And apparently this happened like three times in the year 6 or 7 B.C. Perhaps Kepler thought that was maybe the case, or perhaps it was a supernova. And a supernova is a faint star that violently explodes and gives off enormous amount of light for a few weeks or months. We know this, it was miraculous. And that the wise men, we are told in verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they saw the star. That's big time joy. It's one thing to say they rejoiced. It's another thing to say they rejoiced exceedingly. It's another thing to say they rejoiced exceedingly with joy. But this is a fourfold joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's about as joyful as you can get. Now, it's interesting in the, in the, scripture, the scripture, how the scripture just speaks about the East. Sinners lived in the East. Adam and Eve, when they were sent out of the garden, where were they sent? To the East of Eden. And after Cain and Abel, after Cain killed Abel, Cain went east and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. When Lot chose for himself the better portion of land, the Bible says Lot journeyed east. And they separated from one another. And the end of Abraham's life, he gave all that he had to Isaac. But the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living. He sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Isn't it interesting? And these wise men came from the east. And that's often where sinners come from, scripturally speaking. And we live on the east coast. <laughs> now, I don't want to make too much of that. But the, the, the idea here is this. God is bringing all the nations to himself. And Matthew wants to make it very clear that this king has come, but this king of the Jews is also the king of the nations. 
And we see these people coming from, as we're going to read, through, we're going to go through the whole of Matthew together, and we'll, we'll see God bringing a harvest of worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And this very passage here, as I mentioned, the beginning of service, is a fulfillment of Isaiah 60, verse 3 and 6, that nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Now, a good Jew knows the first commandment. And the very first commandment is what? You shall have no other gods before me. And yet in this very beginning of Matthew, we are told that Jesus, this king, is Emmanuel, God with us, and we see people coming from way, way far away, hundreds and hundreds of miles, and they fall down prostrate and they worship him. How can they do that? How can Matthew say this is good? The answer is Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And he's worshipped throughout the book. And the book is going to end the same way that it begins. You remember the end of the story when Jesus rose from the dead and the women, as they're looking for him, it says they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him in Matthew 28. And he sent them, sent them and told the disciples to, to meet me in Galilee. And then when they showed up in Galilee, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And my question to you this morning is, what about you? Which one of these four types of people are you? If you had to say, which one of these describes you? Where is your devotion, your loyalty, your worship? Are you like the Magi? Are you like Herod? Do you hate this Jesus? Are you like the crowd? You're just fearful. You just want to keep the peace. You don't want to rock anybody's boat. Don't want to upset anybody. Wouldn't want to upset your parents or your brother or your sister or some coworker or some neighbor and let them know that, that you love King Jesus. Which one are you this morning? Because these describe us. And I hope that you're like the Magi that come, come streaming in to lay down your life to him and give him your gifts and your treasures and make much of him with your life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the ruler of kings. All these other kings in Scripture have passed away and you hold the keys of death in Hades. You rose from the dead. You live forevermore. Yesterday, today, and forever, you are the same. And we are but breath. We are amidst. And we will soon die and stand before you and give an account for our lives. And Lord, may we recognize that everything we have comes from you. And most of all, Lord, we look to you for salvation. We cannot save ourselves. Lord, we know we are sinful people, stained by sin, unbelief, fears. And Lord, forgive us for not trusting you. Thank you for coming to us in the midst of our plight and our problem. Thank you for being the solution. We love you. We pray that we'd make much of you with our lives. 
We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.